Blog Talk Radio. General Quarters, Security Condition 3. Thank you. Security 3, sir. General Quarters 3, Intruder Alert. GQ 3, Intruder Alert. And if you're a regular listener, you know I hope I never lose that doorman. He's the best. He's fabulous. Good evening and welcome once again to Matt of Perry's Salon. The podcast with more celebrities than the inauguration. I am your host and cruise director, Madam Perry, or you can call me Jennifer Perry or J Mod as the mods in Britain do. But I am uh, got to first of all say to everybody listening, to all my listeners, whether you're, whether you're listening live tonight, which is Wednesday, August 30th, or if you're listening to this later, if you download it, subscribe to it, and listen to it on the weekends. I seem to have – I don't broadcast on the weekends, but I have my most downloads and listeners on the weekends. So thank you so much. Uh, if you're listening live on Blog Talk Radio, though, you, or not live, you can always – if you would, please. There's a little pink rectangle that says follow. If you would click that and follow the show, I would be most grateful. Uh, although you can also subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, and Blueberry. This show gets better and better. I keep saying that, and it keeps happening. I want to thank you all because it's all the people, all of you wonderful folks that keep listening and sharing it and downloading and subscribing and calling in and talk to my guests and messaging and messages to my guests. All of you help me to get sponsors and help me to get better guests. And this last God, six, seven, eight months, year, I have had I've just, I'm very, very, very lucky lady to have all the guests I've had. Uh, one thing I do have to mention, if you've heard it before, bear with me, but this is pretty important. Um, if you heard about two weeks ago or three weeks ago, David Fishoff was my guest, and he's the guy, he's a sports, uh, is an athletic and uh, entertainment agent. He also is the guy, he produces a lot of TV shows and big shows, and he produced, he came up with the whole idea of the Ringo Star All-Star Band and pitched it to Ringo. Uh, he created that. He also created Rock and Roll Fantasy Camp. And you can go to that, uh, the website, and check it out. But in September, just a few weeks away, is the next one. It's the Rock and Roll Fantasy Camp Judas Priest Edition. And, of course, the Judas Priest guys are there. Plus, they'll have what they call their counselors. One is Rudy Sarzo, uh, bass player for Quiet Riot, and Ozzy, who's been on the show before, and, of course, get his book off the rails. Uh, Rudy's going to be there, as well as his brother, Robert, also a great musician, and uh, about three or four other people that you know you've got in your record collection. Uh, they're going to be there. But, but David Fishoff said anyone who registers for the September Judas Priest edition of Rock and Roll Fantasy Camp and mentions Madam Perry Salon. You let him know that you heard about it on the show, that Madam Perry or Madam Perry Salon told you about it. When you get there, he will give you a free guitar valued at $700 just for mentioning Madam Perry Salon when you sign up. So that's a pretty good deal. Also, just to go over some recent things, last uh, Wednesday we had Lita Ford, yes, the runaway uh, she's talking about her book, Living Like a Runaway, plus she's on tour right now. So, uh, Lita, Lita Ford, thank you so much. That was so much fun, and uh, thank you for being so – she made everybody feel like they were already her friend, everybody that called in. And she gave away a copy of her book, and the winner was Larry. If you didn't see it on Facebook, the winner was Larry Boomer Brumley. I got an actor, comedian in, in Glasgow, Scotland, Titch McLean, to do the drawing and do a video. He did a great job. Uh, so – Anyway, yeah, thanks to uh, – congratulations to Larry and thanks to Lita. 
uh, tomorrow night we have the president A&R for Universal Records, and he's also the producer platinum uh, producer for Pitbull, Tom Slick. He'll be on tomorrow night. Uh, looking forward to that too. So, but tonight, tonight, I have been so psyched about this show ever since I booked it. I was didn't know if this guy would say yes, did, and and I can already tell this is going to be fun. Uh, he is, I, I describe him, other people describe him as a card-carrying renaissance man. Uh, when he's not doing a day job, like most of us, he's either making his own computer games or creating stories. Um, he's been a comic book fan for way back, and his officially published credit came, first of all, in the Morbid Myths in 2007. Oh, the Morbid Myths 2007 Halloween special. Since then... However, uh, his comic output has included dark superheroes. See, I'm so excited about this guy. Even my dogs are upset. Uh, The Supremacy, uh, an online comic strip about the office environment. Oh, yes. Uh, Could I have a stress puppy? An existential fantasy series, Head Above Water, and his first all-ages comic about a little girl who becomes friends with a mermaid. That's called Soundwaves. And he lives in Illinois where he spends time complaining about politics and watching movies. My kind of guy. Please welcome to Madame Perry Salon for the very first time, cartoonist, author, and animator, Peter G. Peter G., please come on in. Have a big cushion to sit, cushion to sit on and make yourself comfortable. Ah, thank you. I'll just take this plush one over here. This is nice. Oh, good, good, good. I'm glad. Um, we we try to redecorate it now and then. We've had a few of these uh, thriller authors like Brett Wright and Rick Connell, and they end up leaving. Every time they come, they do something stupid like leave a burrito in the seat or in the cushions or whatever, or uh, comedian Daryl Darryl, uh, Rhodes also called once to say he, he had left his hamster here. I would say but, maybe raise the ceiling a little bit. I bumped my head a little bit. <laughs> okay, all right. Now, of course, it's kind of dim in here too. But okay, I'll, I'll, I'll well, I mean, and happen. also remember, I'm a chunk, 270 pounds, so I need a little more room in here anyway. <laughs> well, well, we want you to be comfortable and have everything you need because we're just thrilled to have you here. And you're, you're, a, and you're a tall, cute chunk too. So. Uh, <laughs> I put a picture. You you look best in the blue T-shirt. Let me say that blue's a good color for you. That's a picture I put yeah. on my uh, on Instagram with a picture of you and a very pretty blonde lady and a little uh, lavender pony. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was uh, Tara Strong from uh, My Little Pony. I got my picture taken with her, and I got a couple of my comic book signs. So I was a happy camper that day. <laughs> That's a good picture. It really is. That's why I had to use that. It's a great picture. Like I said, blue is your color, and she's a doll. What was she like? What was it like to meet her? Well, uh, the line was pretty long, so I didn't really get much FaceTime with her, but uh, she was very nice. She was very accommodating. You know, I've I've collected a few autographs over the years, and there's some people that are just like, you know, you put your thing in front of them, and they just go, here, move on. But, you know, she – she was she was generous with what time she had. You know, once again, she's one of the biggest voice actresses working right now. Because besides My Little Pony, she's also been on Fairly Odd Parents. She's she's practically she's almost like a modern day June Foray. Chances are, if there's a show, oh. you've you've heard her voice at some point. So it's a uh, it's a case of yeah, she wants to be nice to fans and stuff like that. But the line is really super long. Oh, wow! Well. Shirley Smart looks very lovely there, and uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, modern day June Foray. That's a uh, that's very good. Uh, a few months back, I had on the show Allison Arngram. Uh, she's an actor and uh, stand-up comic, but people know her mostly as the evil Nellie Olson on Little House on the Prairie. Oh, okay. And oh, she's hilarious. But her mother also did a lot. Did you know? I think Gumby and. Um, uh, uh, what did did uh, Dudley Do Right's girlfriend? She did lots of cartoon uh, voices. So. Uh. Oh yeah, it's you know it's a very tough field to get into because it's very insular. But if you can prove your worth, they'll welcome you with open arms. You just gotta get over that hump, is all. Oh, I see. So, um, so you met her. So you you know you're already a fan, obviously, of her work and My Little Pony. Is it because of the uh, what attracts you to it, or what interests you? 
Well, it's mostly because uh, I have to preface that I'm, I enjoy the new My Little Pony cartoon. I'm not a brony because I've seen too much of the bad behavior in the subculture. I started watching the show because uh, my niece, who I babysit, she was, uh, she was really young, and she watched the show. One night I'm there, and I'm watching it with her. And in the episode, a bunch of the characters are chasing this one other character around town. And as she runs, the theme from Benny Hill is playing in the background. And I'm just staring at the screen going, no kid is going to get this joke. No kid is going to understand what makes this funny. And it's simple. It's like as long as the show makes me laugh, I keep watching. So. <laughs> but don't you think that there was always, you know, if you go back and look at some of the old cartoons, the, uh, what is it, the, the Fleischer cartoons and such, uh, way back from the 50s, 40s, 50s, 60s, there seems to be an element there. They seem to do this brilliant job of an element there for kids to enjoy and then a more subtle thing that the adults could enjoy. Well, that kind of depends on the cartoons you're watching, though, because when cartoons first started, cartoons were originally not for kids at all. You know, the early, the very first Felix the Cat cartoons had him drinking hard liquor, went uh, brandishing a straight edge razor, and his girlfriend ready to beat him up because he stayed out too late. You know, uh, some of the early Walt Disney, yeah, some of the early Walt Disney cartoons uh, could be re- could be very nightmarish uh, with some of their imagery like one where a mad scientist kidnapped Pluto to cut his head off and replace it with the head of a chicken. And uh, Chuck Jones, Chuck Jones, he's an animation legend. He's one of the gods of animation. He created the Roadrunner. He did some of the best Bugs Bunny cartoons in that. And he said in interviews that that if he had known back then that kids were going to be watching his stuff, he wouldn't have put half the stuff in there that he did. But at some point, because so many kids started watching, cartoons started falling into this cartoons are for kids ghetto, that it's only now, I wouldn't say it's climbed out of it, but at least there's now, it's, it's kind of like Ralph Bakshi's dream where there is an element of, yes, this can be for adults and this can be appreciated as an art form. It's not just something to keep your kids mesmerized for 10 minutes until the next commercial break. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think somebody else pulled in the... Um... I had never seen this, but uh, was it Mighty Mouse sniffing his, his some powder off of his paw before he flies? <laughs> you might have to clarify, because I, I know my Mighty Mouse is. I'm I'm a big fan of Ralph Bakshi, and that was where he got his start in animation, working on the old Mighty Mouse cartoons for Cherry Tunes, and then he did the revival in uh, in the mid '80s. So it's like, yeah, Mighty Mouse, uh, Mighty Mouse has gone through some odd things over the over the years. You know, originally he he didn't speak at all. You know, he didn't. It was just you know, all this bad stuff happens to these mice, and then you know, here I come to save the day. And his his punishment of the cats could get very graphic and very violent. He was not above beating and just flat out you know attacking everybody. But once again, as times moved on, and especially once Filmation got the rights to do a Mighty Mouse cartoons in the 70s, that kind of got soft-pedaled, and he just became, you know, just here I come to save the day, and a, a lot more acceptable, so. <laughs> All right. So um, so tell me when, when did it hit you to first start drawing your own cartoons? Oh. And creating well, your own stories. Because obviously, I'm thinking as a kid, you know, you you may have grown up like I did in a time where uh, you used your imagination to create stories and games and, and lives and situations. Mm-hmm. Well, the story is is kind of odd because as a kid, you know, every kid wants to be a cartoonist. And uh, my first books that I can remember reading were Peanuts books. I loved Snoopy. Snoopy was my absolute favorite. And I remember, like, my parents would take me out camping and stuff like that, and I'd be packing up every last Snoopy book that I had so I could take it and read it while I was out there. And I always wanted to do a comic strip. I tried playing around with it a few times while I was in high school. In high school, my biggest influence – I love Snoopy, but the person who first had an influence on me, who first started shaping you know, these thoughts into something coherent, was Berkeley Breathed with his, uh, with his great Bloom County comic strip. Oh. And love, Bloom love, County, love yeah, and Bloom County was the first, you know, because I read I read comic strips all the time. I loved comic strips, and I would go through all of them in the paper, even ones that I wasn't exactly thrilled with or whatever. I read Garfield and everything, but Bloom County was the first one where I saw it and I said, 
I want more of this. This is what I want to do. But uh, through high school, I was constantly told, well, your artwork isn't good enough and all the rest of this stuff. I hadn't learned to really refine what I was doing. And plus, I was from the comic strip world where individuality in your art is a good thing. In comic books, it's a bad thing. It's very detrimental. You have to match a certain house style and the expectations of the readers. And uh-huh. I kind of said it – and I – I had kind of set it aside for a while. Then back in 1991, uh, I started discovering underground comics. You know, I've, I'm the strangest punk you'll ever meet. I'm very clean cut for a punk. <laughs> and, uh, and I started toying around with trying to create my own comics that way because I saw a business model that would make it actually work where it could sustain itself. But the further I got into the comic book industry, the more I saw how, how dangerous it could be, how everybody's pretty much out for themselves. And it got set aside for a while. Then back in 2007, uh, it, it was about that time, there was a movie called Over the Hedge, which was it was a good movie. I enjoyed mm-hmm. it, but I'd never read the comic strip. Well, I got a couple of the book collections, and it took me back to the days of Berkeley Breathed with its pacing, with its artwork, with its delivery of its lines. And it rekindled the fire in me, and I started working, and I created Stress Puppy. And Stress Puppy wound up running uh, twice a week for three years, uh, from 2007 to 2009. And the only reason it stopped was because uh, the studio, Hardway Studios, that was hosting the strip uh, basically gave up and moved on. But from there, I had already been bitten by the bug. I started developing uh, the chibi art style that I do for Soundwaves. I was doing those books. And uh, I also started trying to experiment with other art styles. That's how Head Above Water came along. And that was kind of the march up until a few years ago. Um, about a year and a half ago, there's a friend of mine. She is scary accurate when it comes to the comic book industry. Now, I've been trying to punch in the comic book industry for years now. 2009 was the first time I saw a comic in print. And you know how everybody keeps saying, well, you need to go out and you need to you know, get yourself published, even if you self-publish and stuff like that in order to get It doesn't work that way. I know. I've been there. And... About a year and a half ago, we were talking, and like I said, she's scary accurate about predicting the comic industry, and she said that in two years, the comic book industry as we know it will be dead and gone. And so far, she's been proven right because like, there's a company that puts on uh, the Arizona Comic Con. They have four major cons out on the West Coast. They canceled two of them this year because attendance didn't support it. We're seeing comic book stores that have been in business for 35 years closing up their shutters because they can't afford to stay in business. And the thing is, is that as more of these shops fall away, the audience is abandoning comics because nobody wants to drive an hour, hour and a half just to pick up a bunch of comic books. So the field is constricting at, frankly, an alarming rate. And that was what prompted me to start working on the animation. I mean, I've always enjoyed animation. You could tell from how I went on about Mighty Mouse. And the animation has, has opened a lot more doors than the comics have. So that's kind of become the squeaky wheel getting the grease. It's also why I haven't really worked on anything new with, like, the Hannah Singer books or anything because that's what's getting a lot of attention. That's what's getting people talking. The weirdest thing in the world was when I went to, uh, I went to a comic book convention one time, and as I'm standing at the table, a person uh, who's uh, – it was for an anime convention. She's looking at me, do I know you from somewhere? Well, it turns out she was a fan of one of my animations, and she recognized my voice from it, and she was on the board of directors for the Anime Con, and she was interested in giving me a panel. And, you know, I thanked her politely. I got her information and stuff like that. But I'm walking away. I'm going, this happens in movies. This doesn't happen in real life. In real life, you don't – in a world of 8 billion people with a video that's gotten about 3,000 views, you do not get the one person who happens to be on a board of directors. If you, if you tried to sell that to a studio, they'd be sending it back with red pencil marks all over the page. So it's like – but like I said, it's getting the most attention, it's getting the most excitement, and it's certainly very rewarding for me. So I'm continuing to move in that direction. And I'll come back to my other stuff uh, basically once the coast is clear. But for now, this is what's getting everybody excited and interested, so that's what I'm chasing. All right. So uh, and over the hedge, I'm a big fan of that too. Uh, just – I don't know what – it's just – <laughs> it's, it's, I, I just think it's brilliant everything and the uh the 
strip was in the paper. I mean, that was the first strip I ever saw where, and I know this is, this is only a tiny part. This is only a tiny thing. If you don't know over the hedge, you know, you go find it. But if you don't know, this, this, there's a lot more to it than this. But it was the first strip I ever saw that when somebody had a thought, instead of drawing a light bulb, they drew the, the new light bulbs, the kind of the, the tubes that swirl around the uh, energy The compact fluorescence, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like the, uh, it's like detail, you know, detail. The things they don't talk about. Those little details here in those little hidden gems. Mm-hmm. Uh, people that get it, but that that is. Oh yeah. Too. Yeah, it's it's the it's for me. It's not only the sardonic delivery, but it's also how it turns the whole thing on its head. You have all these people who talk about, oh, modern life is so terrible and stuff like that. Well, the animals frankly like modern life and that's the reason why they never stray too far from the suburb so it's it's what everybody goes through on the one hand you enjoy the modern world but on the other hand it drives you nuts and you're constantly trying to find that balance between what you're enjoying and what you want to say, oh do i really have to go through this again <laughs> so um yeah because i think okay so back to, to the animation i think uh Oh, wait, I've got this other picture of you. Tell me what this is from. Um, it's on your, your blog, Live Journal, and uh, you're wearing – it says, uh, suck on this, seamsters. You are with uh, a I tend beautiful to do that quite lady. a bit. Uh, I'll, have to check out, uh, I'll have to check out one in particular. But uh, a lot of the okay, times when I do this – Okay, wearing a red shirt. Okay, uh, let's see. Um Let's see. Uh, I'm, te- I'm I'm guessing I'm in the picture with somebody else. Yes, uh, beautiful brunette. Okay, chances are that t- chances. Huh? Pardon me. Yeah, beautiful brunette. She's shorter than you. Okay, and... chances are that uh, Stephanie Shea. She's the voice of Sailor Moon on the new Sailor Moon cartoons. <laughs> and uh, she was kind enough. Uh, I'm a fan of Sailor Moon, and when I found out that they were coming to Chicago to sign autographs last year, I wanted to show what kind of a fan I was, but I thought I'd look kind of dippy dressed like Sailor Jupiter. So I created my own Atari game, designed it, programmed it, tested it, debugged it, got it put on a cartridge. So what you see in that picture is an actual working Atari game that I made of Sailor Moon, and I've been on a quest to get as many signatures on it as I can. That's the one you're – this one you're holding on. I'm sorry. And your quest is what? Before I interrupted. Oh, uh, to get as many signatures on that thing as I can. And I'm so far up to seven signatures on one and eight on another. Oh. Oh. That is magnificent. It's <laughs> not that big a deal. And what, what convention was this at? That was at uh, C2E2. Uh, it's the one put on by Reed Pop, the people who do the New York Comic Con. They do one in Chicago every spring. And uh, this one was, uh, I think it was in March. And, uh, and yeah, it's every year. It's a very good show. And I have a lot of fun there. And when I found out that they were going to be there, I'm like, okay, I have five weeks to do this. Can I do it? And by golly, I did it. And I've been adding <laughs> signatures to them since. You know, for the, for those of you who like uh, check out my, for those of you who want to check out my YouTube channel, uh, the series Peter G Sailor uh-huh. Moon Fanboy. That's been chronicling the whole thing. It tells how I came up with the idea, and it's been tracking my quest to get these signatures. So if you want to know <laughs> if you want to know how nuts some fans okay. can get, that's the one to follow. All right, and um, let's see, and then. How many videos do you have on there right now? Uh, I think I got twelve. Uh, I have uh, basically what I have is first of all I have uh, I have a series called One True Pairing, which basically goofs on fanfic pairings because a lot of people when they do their uh, fan fictions, they try to make them they try to make them <laughs> love or sex stories, and usually the characters have to be completely out of character because it's people that normally wouldn't want to spend the to- any time with each other, but they find a way to, to make it happen. <laughs> So so basically in that, I just put two characters together that people like putting together. I keep them in character, and I would just watch the whole thing go to hell. And, <laughs> and so, okay. so there's that. There's the, the Sailor Moon fanboy uh, series. 
uh, I did what I thought I have a proof of concept called lexicon it's for uh, it's basically for a pitch for an animated cartoon series an educational series I wanted to show that it could be educational and still be interesting and adventurous and fun so what is there is basically showing more or less how it would progress I'm working on a new cartoon it would be uh, it would you know expand more on the world of the series and stuff like that and help uh, illustrate more but I had PBS sniffing around a little bit, and I wanted to get something out so they could see what I had in mind. Mm. So they could see not only was it interesting, but it could be done on a tight budget because animation can get really expensive sometimes. So you can mm-hmm. see that there. There's also uh, Notice Me Senpai Batman. That was a oh, that was a that was an <laughs> adventure to make. Uh, Notice Me Senpai Batman came <laughs> around. You know. Uh, Ralph Bakshi likes to say that a picture or cartoon only has value if it's a reaction against something else. And what the reaction to that was, was last year, uh, Warner Brothers and DC Comics made an animated movie based on the Batman story, The Killing Joke. And because they thought some people might not know who Batgirl was, they added a 20-minute prologue to the story showing Batgirl. But in the process, they not only ruined her character, they also ruined Batman. Because it turns out the only reason Batgirl becomes Batgirl is because she wants to impress Batman and be his girlfriend. And in fact, there's a scene of the two of them on the rooftop uh, getting intimate. Uh, Let's be polite and put it that way. And ultimately, when he rejects Mm -hmm. her, that's when she stops being Batgirl. And I'm like, "This this was the girl who, when she first became Batgirl... Kept her identity secret from Batman, the master detective. She could be anything she wanted to be, and here she is just wanting to be a piney, you know, oh, I need this man in my life thing. And Batman, because he's like a father figure to her, the the, the scene on the rooftop uh, uh, creeped me out. I couldn't take it. And I'm complaining and complaining. I was ready to trash all my Batman stuff at, at that point. And one of my friends is like, no, 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 don't get rid of your Batman stuff. Make fun of it. And so I'm like, okay, and so let's take the character of Barbara Gordon and let's take her to the logical conclusion from this movie. So I turned it into a high school melodrama where she is pining for the, where this girl who could be anything she wants to be, but it doesn't matter because she wants this boy, and I just ran with it. And people, people who watch a lot of it, people who watch cartoons and stuff like that, they think it's funny. But people who watch anime because they get exactly where all the all the stuff is coming from think it's one of the funniest things they've ever seen. And I've gotten a couple of people who try to blow back because it's like, yeah, Batman, Batgirl should totally be a couple. Of, no, 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 no. <laughs> Here's my stance on that. So please, let's move on to another discussion, okay? And uh, I'm you. in the middle. Go ahead. No, please, you go ahead. <laughs> and uh, there's a, there's a short uh, trailer for Birds of Praise, which is going to be it's going to be a a, a Christian uh, series about birds because birds are messengers of God. I just haven't been able to get anywhere with it yet because I've had so many other things going on. But that one is definitely coming. I. I enjoy doing. Uh, I enjoy. I have a unique view of Christianity, but I do enjoy making these stories, and I enjoy trying to present something other than just the standard. You know, uh, I don't want to do another gospel bill. Let's put it that way. I want to show something mm-hmm. that's actually interesting and that shows that there was a great TV show called Nothing Sacred. It ran on ABC for less than a year. And it was about a Catholic priest who was basically trying to help people navigate, uh, navigate the pitfalls in their life when there's no clear right or wrong answer. This is kind of sort of where the idea for Hannah Singer came from also. Well, a lot of tradi- even though it had a lot of support among a lot of Christians, including uh, the uh, Chicago nunneries, Everybody said, "Oh no, this you know Christianity is it. You're you're bad mouthing it because once you accept God, everything is fine." And they buried it on Saturday night, and it fell away. And I have the advantage of no, I can do these explorations, and I can come up with these ideas, and I can see where they lead. And that's basically what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to basically encourage thinking and just wondering about things instead of just saying, "Here's how it is, and this is what you should think." Mm-hmm. So, wow. Well, i got to stop and tell you that we have a uh, – some. If, oh, by the way, if you want, if you're listening live and would like to call in and talk to Peter G., the number to call is 646-716-9922, which Blog Talk Radio assures me 
is a toll-free call in the continental U.S. So 646-716-9922 is a number to call and uh, step in here with um, myself and Peter G. And we have a call right here. Actually, if you look coming in the door here at Madame Perry Salon, it's a friend of ours. He's an actor um, and writer. Duffy Odom. Duffy, come on in and talk to Peter G. and me. Oh, hello, Madam Perry. It's good to be hello. back. And hello. Hello. And hello, Hi there. Peter. Let me just scoot down a little bit. Okay. Yes. I'm a little short, so, uh, you know, if you want to get eye to eye, you might scoot down in the beanbag a little bit. So. Uh, so I, I think between the two of us, we're, we're the two normal seats. I'm uh, I'm big, you're small. Okay, yeah, okay. <laughs> and I'll just stand for a while while uh, I fix a drink. <laughs> but it's, uh, you're, Peter, you're very, you have such a, uh, a uh, unique sensibility. Um, I, I've, uh, I'm thinking about uh, the, uh, the things that you've mentioned that, uh, May not influence you, but some of the things that you like. You've you've mentioned um, uh, My Little Pony and Sailor Moon, and I'm a I'm a fan of Sailor Moon. Uh, oh wow! Do you find a lot of uh, and with some of your uh, some of your work, I'm I'm interested in the one of uh, the uh, little girl who's friends with the mermaid. Uh, I'd like to. I'd, I'd like to see a sample of that, and but the question is, uh, are there a lot of guys that that you find out uh, uh, while you're working or while you're out and about who are who have the same sensibility? You seem to have a, a unique uh, bent towards knowing what the uh, young female attitude should. Uh, could be and uh, ways to empower mm. them, and uh, I think that's very important. And I wondered if you uh, uh, just what run you into run that? into that, uh, as far as that influence, and if uh, you get any flack about it, or uh, it's just an in- it's just an interesting take on. Let's, on, uh, uh, comics I, and, art, and art in general. Let's do. I see a lot of guys uh, who are interested in basically uh, presenting women in different ways. No, uh, a lot of guys that I see, and you see this especially in comic books, where uh, uh, women tend to be tend to be presented. When you want to show guys being powerful, you exaggerate the muscles and you show them fighting. When you want to show women as being powerful for some reason that eludes me, the first thing they do is they show them being sexy and being seductive. Here's the bottom line. In the comic book Tomb Raider, which was based on the video game with Laura Croft, she would go undercover as like a harem dancer and stuff like that. That stuff doesn't happen to Batman. Batman doesn't go undercover as a stripper. He goes undercover and beats people up until they tell him what he wants to know. And a lot of people – we. We had a situation a couple of years ago where in the Iron Man comic book, Tony Stark, uh, who's Iron Man, was going to be stepping out of the costume sort of, but he still needed somebody to be Iron Man. And it went to this black girl named Riri Williams, who was 15 years old. And you'll understand why I focus on her race in just a minute. Uh, a lot of people were like, well, great, you know, we got a black, uh, we got a black character taking over, and this is going to be great. Well, the covers for it showed Riri Williams, who I want to say again was 15 years old, in tight spandex stretch pants, cut down well below, uh, cut down well below the belly, like just barely on, and in a sexy pose and stuff like that. And it's like, this is a 15-year-old girl. Why are you drawing her like this? You know, with Lexicon, who's uh, who's uh, who she's she's uh, a black character. My basic thing was when I was designing her outfit was, is this the kind of thing that they would put Riri Williams in in the comic books? And if the answer was yes, I redrew it. And because uh, <laughs> for me, uh, I mean, 
And for me, a lot of it has to do with the influence on my life. I like to tell people, because it's true, if you had met me like 20, 25 years ago, you wouldn't have liked me because I was very arrogant. I was very insensitive. I was very, uh, I was very you know, other people you know, need to pick themselves up and stuff like that. I didn't have a lot of emotional intelligence. And uh, it was about that time that I met my teacher. She's, uh, she's my religious teacher. She knows so much about religion, it's like she lived it. And she started teaching me more about my religion, about myself, and how to understand things. And she's become such an influence that any time I create a female character, the first check is, is she going to get upset with this portrayal of this woman? And if the answer is yes, I don't do it because I want to make her proud of what her student has done. And it's created interesting situations. I get a lot of compliments for how I write women, not only because they're empowered, but like in the Stress Puppy comic strip, uh, Holly Faraday was the CTO, and uh, she inverted basically the whole stereotype of the character. She wasn't dumb. She wasn't oversexed or anything like that. Not only was she smart, she was actually very anarchistic. She was, she was the ideal counter for the series star because the series star was very voice of reason, stuff like that. And she was like, no, I can get away with this, and I'm going to. And I had so many compliments because not only did she talk like a woman, but also – she was unique. She wasn't just thrown together with a bunch of cliches. Because in a lot of things like movies and stuff like that, the female character exists in relation to the male character. The female character isn't just there. She's the girlfriend. She's the mom. She's this, 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 whatever. And if you take away the relationship, she has no reason to be there. Holly got some of the best lines, and I openly admit I enjoyed making her the funniest character in the strip. I don't know why, but a lot of guys seem to have a problem with funny women. I don't understand why. I love funny women, so. But there's that. Uh, Hannah Singer, I've gotten a lot of compliments for how I write her and stuff like that. And I think, you know, every. In fact, now that I think about it, every female character I've created so far has been an avid reader. I have not done one single ditzy female character who's there for comic relief, and I'm, and I'm very proud of that. But I do not see a lot of guys trying to do that. I see a lot of guys who are more interested in showing women as. You know, as basically like a proxy for who they want to date, and a lot of times what the other characters do is what they would do to try and not, to try and land her or whatever. There's a there's a disconnect that I don't see a lot of, and there's also a lot of you know, oh things aren't as bad. Women don't need, you know, when uh, Wonder Woman came out this year. There were theaters that were showing women-only screenings and stuff like that. And oh, that's sexist. That's against the law and stuff like that. I'm like, oh, <laughs> women-only screening of Wonder Woman. If only there was another theater I could go to to watch it, like, oh, 99% of them in the country. There's, <laughs> <laughs> it, it's like there's, there's this tendency to try and to basically unknowingly create a separation and then when people notice the separation, say, oh, no, you got that wrong. There is no separation at all. Well, there is. You know, women simply do not live in the same world men live in. You know, you hear people say, you know, guys, if you see a woman, you just go up and say hello. A lot of women have been in situations where these seemingly innocent actions have led to them being robbed, being physically attacked, all mm -hmm. kinds of things. And until you get over that hump, and re but part of that is you just have to realize that not everybody has the same life as you. And that's pretty much, I think, the big thing is that there's a lot of people that when they do their women characters their way, it's because, oh, this is how it is. They don't consider, no, it not, it not always is. And, in fact, oftentimes it isn't. And I think that's the thing that has to get passed in order for more people to start understanding that and actually doing something with it. Mm -hmm. I hope I answered your question uh, somewhere in all that rambling. <laughs> uh, I don't know. That's, that's exactly what I was looking for, uh, but especially, uh, and even in what you've mentioned, the, I think something about the empowerment of, uh, of children is, is so very important. I think our only hope right now are people that are born in this century, and the people that uh, are, were born early in this century that are teenagers now the empowerment of those young women is more important than ever. And I, I heard you mention a 15-year-old, and, and I, I know that there are uh, younger girls in your, in your mindset. And mm -hmm. I, I, uh, uh, I don't see a lot of guys 
I don't see any guys uh, doing that as, as far as I know. Uh, I was a big, I was a gigantic, and I, I think I was in my 30s and, let me see, was that in the 90s? That means I was in my 40s. And I never missed an episode of Buffy. Because mm-hmm. Buffy uh, didn't take any anything from anybody, and if she wanted somebody to do, she would get one of her friends to go and do it. <laughs> some, some sexy girl that she knew to go and mm-hmm. seduce somebody, and she would take care of business herself. And mm-hmm. she wasn't oh, going to yeah, take it's... anything from anybody. And Zeno then, Warrior I Princess. I, yeah, and I don't think there's enough teenage warrior princesses that are just normal, uh, well, normal everyday girls. Well, uh, and I think interrupt. I apologize. Even even Sailor Moon, I think, is an extension of that as as anime as that as that gets. You know, uh, even Powderpuff Girls. You know, the empowerment the empowerment of of younger girls, is, I think, is really important. And I, I think you have hit a nerve there that is uh, something that you that you have run with that I don't know if you've totally uh, tapped in with. Uh, I'm very interested also in in the, your book that I saw. You on Amazon, and I'm I'm really anxious to get uh, Hannah Singer. Oh, that, yeah, I think uh, I think you're going to love Hannah. And, Hannah's Hannah's and, and the, one of my favorites. And the responses to that, I heard I heard you speaking on another blog talk radio uh, uh, show a couple of years ago about about her, and she I think she's some somebody that somebody could run with too. Uh, Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, and I know that there may oh, be yeah. a, a possible black backlash of uh, religious fanatics that might question it, but uh, you know that never stopped uh, that never stopped an artist yet. You know. Well, for me, the main mm-hmm. thing with trying to create these different characters is, in the case of uh, like with Holly in uh, Stress Puppy, she was she was a uh, part of the ensemble cast. But like with Lexicon and uh, and with Hannah Singer, the main thing is that they are supposed to be heroes. When I was creating Hannah, Hannah's whole idea was that I wanted somebody that, for those who haven't read uh, the books or know what I'm talking about, the gist of Hannah Singer is that uh, you know how you do something, you got people saying you're being naughty, you're being sinful, you're going to burn in hell? Well, she's your defense right. attorney on the other side. And her job is to stand mm-hmm. up for you in situations where there's no clear right or wrong. And because of because of how smart she is, she gets the toughest cases. And the whole gist of it was that I wanted to create Hannah to be the smartest person in the room. I wanted to be something like, oh, this is terrible. This person is as good as doomed and stuff like that. And I wanted her to be like a female James T. Kirk where she shows up and everyone, yeah, you're in trouble now. And that was the kind of hero I wanted. That was the kind of hero I wanted, somebody that is so smart that you're just sitting there and you're like, okay, what are they going to do? How are they going to pull this off? And that's also what I try to do uh, what's coming up with Lexicon, because the whole idea of Lexi is that if if you see the short, it's basically kind of a twist on Letterman from the electric company where she can change a letter in a word and make it something else. Oh, yeah. But it takes place in the modern day, <laughs> so it's <laughs> – it takes place in modern day, so even though the time is indistinct in the short, it's modern day. She's a student at a school, and basically through, uh, through, uh, through an immature mistake, she winds up causing all these problems. And she's out in the world to basically fix her mistake. So she's not only trying to be responsible, but also she's a student. What you're seeing is pretty much the extent of what her abilities are. So the question isn't how powerful she is. The question is how smart is she? She walks into a room. Here's what she has to work with. What can she do? And that becomes the main gist of the series. So part of what makes Lexi uh, such a great character for me is that she is empowered. She's empowered by her mind. Her brain is her weapon. She's not empowered by, like, we've talked about the new My Little Pony cartoon, the old My Little Pony cartoon that first came out in the 80s. The female characters solved their problems by either sharing or crying and making people feel bad. Lexi doesn't cry or share. She fixes things. Same thing with Hannah. Hannah stares down all kinds of dangers. There's one story in one of the Hannah Singer books where she actually has to face off against the devil himself in court. 
and she doesn't blink. And that's the, those are the kinds of female characters that I like. Those are the ones I like to write because you get because especially when it comes to things like mysteries and adventures, because you get more into the minds of characters when you do that. Mysteries in particular, you know, that's all about the dark side of human nature. What happens when a person gets pushed too far? What do they do? And the same thing with an adventure, because, you know, in the case of Hannah, these people's entire souls are in her hands. So she can't just be a Cupid doll. She has to fight tooth and nail, and she's smart enough to do it. You know, Lexi, her future's on the line, and she's smart enough to actually take charge and put things right. And, yes, I would love to see more people doing this, but there's still – I mean, how long did it take them to get the Wonder Woman movie made? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I would love to see more of it, but there's this there's this kind of inertia that has to be overcome because people think that female characters can't be cool, they can't be funny, they can't be exciting, they can't be interesting. They basically say they can't be heroic. So what I basically try to do when I create these characters is, no, I want to show them being heroic. I want to make characters that no matter who you are, no matter what your gender, no matter what your religion, no matter what your background, you look at these characters and you go, you're a hero. You're somebody that I want on my side. And that's the driving force to create characters that are actually good instead of characters that, you know, turn into a soap opera and wind up devaluing themselves just by their actions. You know, think about the movie American Pie. American Pie, the whole point of American Pie is, oh, sex isn't that important. But at the end of the movie, not a single character is still a virgin. They undermine their own message with their own ending. Mm-hmm. And that's the that's the trap that I'm trying to avoid with my characters. I'm trying to make sure that everything fits and that you are looking at them for the right reasons. Oh, very if, good. If I can stop you just a minute, I want to make I want to make sure the audience knows that um, if you, you definitely want to go to Live Journal to uh, Peter G's blog, it's got some fascinating articles in it. And I am going to have on all of my social media, Madam Perry Salon page on Facebook as well as Twitter, and also we'll share it on Instagram too. All of the links to everything he's got to. Um, to his YouTube channel and to the journal and so forth. And just taking a couple of comments and then we'll move on. Taking a couple of comments out of this, uh, out of one of your your uh, posts. That's quick round two. These I'm just going to take these out of paragraphs, so you're going to have to go and read it to put it all together. But talking about the relationship of Harley Quinn, uh, the, the Nightwing situation, and people who are fans already know. Um, I like. And pull a couple of sentences that really got to me. Um, when you say, <laughs> "Well, you'll have to cut out some of the swear words," I think. Yeah, 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 yeah. Don't worry about it. Okay, where? Uh, <laughs> well, you know, like, uh, um, yeah. Just to make sure, make sure I'm clear. Showing Harley in an abusive relationship with a Joker and ready to rape. Nightwing is okay, but showing her in a consensual, loving relationship with Poison Ivy isn't awesome. And, and a special, uh, yeah, Get for bent. the suggestion that men are just hormones with feet and when presented with an opportunity for sex will not be able to resist. Men are stupid, they're animals. He wants to get raped because then he's getting lucky. We'll get that shit out of here. And then the next paragraph, uh, you have to read it yourself, folks, but to get down to the very bottom, this is so perfect. The character may own her own sexuality or may claim to own her own sexuality, but it's still being modified and presented for the benefit of the pervs and the audience. There's a disconnect between the whole empowerment thing and the reason it's there in the first place. And if you read a couple of blogs, I mean a couple of uh, posts from my blog, Memoirs of a Misanthrope, about my life as a freak magnet, Yes, it's everything you said before about some women can smile and say hello, and then the next thing you know, I mean, I've been said I've had so many every freak geek and perv, you know, just come out and people go, well, you yeah, sure must have been your fault, you know, you were nice, you know, so something that, yeah, he's got it all, ladies. If you're feminine, he's he's yeah, he understands us, he understands us completely. But let's go to, I want to talk more about, and I'll let you pick out the subject because I've only got 11 more minutes with you. On this show, and hoping you'll come back again. But I'm going to pick oh, three or four topics, and let you pick out. Hey, and let you pick out. Um, one is money bags. One is bleeding cool. Uh, Hannah Singer, celestial advocate. If you want to talk more about that, or and I'm, help me pronounce this. Um, the animation studio is called. 
Sign Timor. It's Latin. You can pronounce it how you want. You can pronounce it fish sandwich if you wanted. Mm. That would technically be okay. Well, I'll be down. <laughs> yeah. Well, what yeah. do you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, Sign Timor, it's Latin. It means without fear, without insecurity. Because I want to make things where it's like, no, this is my stance, this is what I'm doing, and I'm not afraid of it. You know, like a lot of people, one of the things, and this is a little free advice to anybody that's listening, if they're looking to create a business or create a studio or something like that, you have to be very careful what name you choose. Because, like, take, for example, uh, Jessica Alba. She made The Honest Company. And what happened? Well, they got caught up in a scandal, and that part of what uh, what ruined her deal with her buyout was because you know it's like, well, your name is honest, and this is somewhat less than honest. So if you choose a name, make sure it's something that you can do and deliver on, because that's going to be part of your brand. That's going to be the shorthand when people hear it. It's like this is what I expect from here. So this is what you better start delivering. And that was the whole idea behind Sign to More. It's like, these are my ideas, right, wrong, or indifferent, and this is what I'm charging ahead with. And so it's more a statement of, you know, being out there and not being afraid and taking on anybody that disagrees with you and saying, no, this is how it is, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to cower just because you disagree with me. There's a lot of people that, you know, you, you hit them with a contrary opinion. They fold like wet laundry. So it's like, no, I am standing my ground, especially like with the Hannah Singer books. It's like, no, this is it. I've had, <laughs> I've had one, I, one, there was one guy who tried it at one of my tables at a show one time, and he was a fundamentalist, and he read uh, the, one of the stories where Hannah states that being gay is not a sin, and he just looked at me, I'm praying for you, son. And I'm like, okay, thank you. Uh, I, I feel cleansed. Thank you. Uh, have a nice day. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but the whole idea is, you know, it's it's the it's the artistic integrity. It's the idea that, you know, you don't want to just go out and be a jerk. That's understandable. But if you have a point to make, and you see something that's wrong, you have to talk about it. You have to express it. That's kind of the whole idea behind money bags. Money bags. I've only started working on it, so it's not even close to a point where I can really discuss much. But the basic gist of it is, I use the Trump presidency as a springboard. The idea that there's all these people running social media who are more interested in presenting themselves as, you know, the heroes of the day and everybody presenting themselves basically as, as religious figures, when in reality they don't speak for all these people at all. There's a lot of people that are like, no, that's too far, that's too extreme and stuff like that. You know, the NRA claims to represent gun rights. They don't, they don't have anywhere – they don't even have 10 percent of gun owners as their members. A lot of people who are NRA members themselves favor at least some kind of background check or something to keep things like Sandy Hook from happening. But if you listen to them, oh, no, 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 we're standing up for, uh, for the rights of citizens and stuff like that. They're creating a false narrative that presents themselves as the hero of the story. And that's where I go with money bags. It's going to start off satirizing Donald Trump, and it's going to spread out to all these people that are like, well, this is what I think. And they build their following based on what they say rather than what they do. Their actions are hypocritical, but it doesn't matter as long as they keep those Twitter numbers up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, brother. <laughs> You're preaching now. <laughs> like Ralph Bakshi says, a picture or a cartoon is worthless unless it's a reaction against something else. And Moneybags yeah. is going to be a reaction against a lot of what the world has started evolving into even before Trump became president. You know, when people were complaining about Kathy Griffin holding a decapitated Trump head, when, when Barack Obama was first elected, there was a guy who made a Barack Obama mannequin and had, him, had a noose around his neck and had him lynched. Not one single Republican senator complained about that. But you do it to Trump, and all of a sudden everybody, oh, you need to be respectful. And, you know, and it's like you're also holding mm -hmm. a comedian to a higher standard than your president. Is there so, are you following the problem here? <laughs> Right, right. So, I, don't should, I don't think she should apologize. She's a comedian. That's what you do. Yeah, that's that's the whole job. Who's in the news? You make fun of them. That's what, my dad loved the Daily Show when it was making fun of Obama. Hated it when it was oh, yeah. making fun of Bush. Loved it when it was making fun of Clinton. It's mm -hmm. like this is what he does. Stephen Colbert, what do you expect? 
You know, Peter, I don't know. Are you a fan of Todd Rundgren? Uh, yes, I am. The musician? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. I don't know Bang on my drum all the day. The current tour, the White Knight tour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bang on the drum all day. So, uh, and he also yeah, he plays in the Ringo Starr band that. That uh, ten four. Well, anyway, in his tour, he just finished uh, uh, the White Knight tour. Um, it's, it's broken into four different sections, and when it opens up, you know, he and of course the whole band are wearing the charcoal suits, white shirts, and red ties. And mm-hmm. the whole first section is about you know this thing is his failed songs that have to do you know with Trump and the way you know his his attitude toward people and stuff and um and the presidency and then before that break in the next show when he goes to do a costume change because then he's not being the Trump character anymore he has this video that he and uh, I don't know if you've heard it he and Donald Fagan wrote this song and created the video called the Man in the Tinfoil Hat Okay have you seen that no, I haven't. I, I want to see it, though. This sounds really interesting. Yeah, look at Todd Rundgren's tinfoil hat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, look at that. Or Donald Fagan tinfoil, either one. But uh, So it's him and Donald, yeah, Donald Fagan. Fagan. So um, you can see he. Um, there were some people breaking, getting very um, agitated and fighting and, and angry at some of the concerts because of it. You know, when he said, look, this is not to make it. If you believe, if you followed me, and the same thing with Roger Waters, when people say something, why don't you just shut up and sing? You know, he goes, Roger, look, if people have followed me for years, they should know what my politics are and know what they're going to hear when they come. And the same with Todd, he said, look, this is it. And hey, besides, why are you fighting out here? You won, okay? You won. Can't you just kind of move along and uh, and. I, I, you know, I, people say, well, do you not want those people to come to your shows, Todd? He goes, no, anybody can come to a show, but just don't get upset. And, of course, I have to admit I don't understand your freaking values, but you're welcome at the show. Uh, well, th- there's there's two problems with that. The first is that, you know, just because someone has different politics than you doesn't mean that you have to react and – you know, like there's people who, when they find out that I'm Christian, they think that if they mention like they're a Wiccan or something like that, I'm like going to fall to my knees and start witnessing. You do not have to react to somebody simply disagreeing with you like it's a threat. And mm-hmm. the other problem is that, you know, there's so, there's so many people that are just there, – there's a saying that democracy is the right to say what you think even if you don't think. Well, we've created a world where people are more interested yeah. in yelling at each other and getting into arguments instead of finding uh, solutions. Back when uh, back when Obamacare was being passed, and uh, you know, trust me, if if I was looking for people who thought like me to try and uh, reaffirm my own values, there's nobody who thinks like me. <laughs> I would never find anybody that I could read in the paper that's like, yes, that's. Ex-. I'm like, no. And the Obamacare debate was one such thing because uh, I was one of the people who was against the Affordable Care Act as it was. And when it got passed, I wrote a column and I said, okay, everybody, bottom line is this. Obamacare is the law of the land. I said, now here's the thing. People like me who didn't like Obamacare, we like some parts of it, like no denying coverage to people with pre-existing conditions. Those who like Obamacare don't like certain things like the mandatory enrollment. There is enough middle ground we can work together and actually make this a good law. But nobody wants to work together. Everybody either wants to repeal the entire thing or reaffirm the whole thing. Nobody wants to compromise. And that's kind of the situation we're in now, and it's very heartbreaking. It's only gotten worse under Trump. Because at this point, we need each other more than ever. We need to work together as a community, as a family, and we can fix these things, but we can only do it if we stop going around acting like we know all the answers. You know, my experiences aren't absolute. No one's is. And that's the whole idea of democracy, especially uh, in the case of America, is that it's not majority rule. It's a set of mutually agreed upon laws so that everyone can do their thing without interference. At some point, that became lost. It became, well, whoever's in charge gets to dictate policy. That's not what it's about. That's not what this country was founded on. And that's what we need to get back into our heads and into our values in order to survive Mm -hmm. this mess and come out better on the other side. You know, I had, yeah, 
I have worked with some people who had very, 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 very severe attitudes. You know, same like you said. You know, and it made me start to think about okay, but if I say that about them, what am I doing? You, I got, got to look at me too. But they were things like, well, Michelle Obama wants kids to eat vegetables in school. She needs to mind her own business. Wants them to exercise. She needs to butt out. You know, but um, what I would do is, I would, um, I would never let them know what I felt because I thought if if I go around them and they think that I'm thinking what they're thinking, I never disagree, I never agree, uh, then maybe one day if they find out, maybe they'll think, well, you know, she was – but she wasn't so bad, you know. We liked her, but who knows? You know, maybe they'll make it kind of soften it. Who, who knows? But I gotta say this: we only got a few minutes. We got about a, less than a minute left, so I want to say this, oh, Peter boy. G. Um, so thrilled to have you here, Duffy. So glad you called in, and everybody else that's listening out Yay. there, putting comments on my page about how much they're enjoying this. I thank you so much. Um, I'm just going to read a brief description of Hannah Singer. People constantly hear you're being naughty, you're being sinful, you're going to burn in hell. Meet your defense attorney. Hannah Singer, Celestial Advocate. When people who have died stand in judgment, she protects them from being cast down. A former atheist, she's one of smart, clever, funny, and relies on every trick at her disposal to prevent church advocates from condemning people to an eternity of endless pain. With her boss, St. Michael, she stands for mercy and understanding. The last hope for people looking to get into heaven. So if we had more time, I would have said, hmm, how would uh, Hannah Singer do if she had uh, 45 for a client? But you know what? We're out of time, and my husband just came in and told me dinner's ready anyway. I can smell it. So at this point. Uh, where do we go? Where do we go to right now to uh, see your uh, art, your uh, comics? Um, the comics, unfortunately, the site had a redesign, so i got to put it back up there, but it looks just on Amazon. So. Okay. Mother Goose! 